you've heard enough from me this year to know my heart for the church and we've looked at how God has placed us in this neighbourhood and so our aim is to be more and more a neighbourhood church. That's the vision that we have. The feedback I'm getting from you tells me that you're on board with this. You've told me you too are hungry to make a greater impact in our community with the gospel and to see more and more lives changed around us. You've agreed with me that there's tens of thousands of people around here who aren't in a relationship with Jesus, and that's our mission field, yes? You've agreed with me that we've been called to bring justice and mercy into this neighbourhood through meeting people's physical and emotional needs, while at the same time we reconcile them with Jesus. There's broad agreement that we're called to plant seeds of the gospel through loving people and talking about our faith while asking God to to open those doors of opportunity. I often talk about that, how Paul would, would pray that prayer or ask people to pray that prayer. God, give me an opportunity. And we do the same thing. We've seen, we're seeing things happen. We're seeing people come to faith, albeit in small numbers. I'm just going to, I'm being brutally honest with you today. We're seeing people grow in discipleship, albeit slowly but surely. We're seeing people get... Uh, their practical needs met through assistance in the church here, through our ministries and programs, and we're seeing relationships that were once strained be healed. But to be perfectly honest with you, I think we've still got some important things to learn. We'll always be learning, won't we, about what God has for us. We've got a journey to go on together, and it's an enjoyable and an exciting journey. There's more still to be had. And I say that because I believe God's desire is for there to be a continually increasing fruit through his church. That doesn't mean he's asking us to strive harder, by the way, in case, you know, you're thinking, oh, what now does he want me to do? (laughs) You know, I think we already strive hard. We expend a lot of energy, and in a sense, enough energy. The more I read the scriptures, the more I see there's something deeper for us to tap into. And that something is the power. The power that comes from the Holy Spirit. Now, I know you've heard sermons from pastors and from me, sermons on the power of the Spirit, the power to overcome sin and to be holy, and it's all fantastic stuff that I wholeheartedly support and I will continue to preach those things. But today I want to talk about There's something more to the power of the Holy Spirit and that's the power that the Holy Spirit has to grow his kingdom and grow the church by signs and wonders. And I knew that it would get quiet at that moment. (laughs) I know that just by saying those words, some of you, you feel a little uneasy or worried. I know that because for much of my life I felt that same way, and to a certain extent, I sometimes still do. On the other hand, for some of you, I mentioned the word signs and wonders, and you were pleasantly surprised, maybe even a little excited. In my experience, when it comes to this topic, I find there's usually three groups of people, right? The first group is this, those who don't believe in miracles today. I'm not sure if there's anyone here today. Maybe there is. These are the people that we call cessationists. They have a fancy word, but they believe that the miracles and these powerful gifts of the Holy Spirit 
um, were for only the early church, for the time of Jesus and soon after. The second group are the ones who are probably, to be honest, I think maybe the majority of Christians around the world, they're the ones, I call them the believe but sceptical group. They're the ones that believe that God can still do miracles and signs and wonders, but they're sceptical about the things that they hear. And this is probably, like I said, a large group. They get concerned over some of the loose theology they sometimes hear preached or they get concerned about some of the strange things they see or done, hear or done in Jesus' name, which can be, you know, it gets attached to an appeal for money or an over-emotional or ridiculous show of some sort or, or they hear claims, they think that sounds far-fetched. They didn't provide any proof and it seems, doesn't seem to match with what I read in the Bible you know, when, with these, these men sometimes in their white suits and their white shoes and they fly around the world in jets and th- things like that and we think, is that what miracles are really supposed to be about? We've all heard of, or perhaps even experienced, uh, a word of prophecy that didn't happen or it was unfounded or untrue. You know, in other words, false and that makes us become sceptical. But this group still believes God can do miracles. In fact, I believe this group wants to believe if only they can uh, see a miracle you know, with their own eyes that would leave no doubt. There was someone in the Bible who did, was a bit like that. It was Thomas, right? Here's the good news for you. If you sit in that group, you think, yeah, I believe God can do miracles, but I have all this. I'm a bit skeptical about the things I hear. The good news is that if you're in that group, Jesus didn't rebuke Thomas. He showed him. He showed him. The third group of those, I call them the embrace and expect group. They embrace this idea that God still does miracles today and they expect God to do them. They're kind of split into two a little bit, those who accept anything and everything they hear and those who embrace God's miraculous work, but they're wise and they're cautious and they carefully test the spirits and they follow the guidelines that the scriptures give us, especially around things like tongues and prophecy. So here today, you know, across the whole auditorium, I'm guessing we probably have all three of these groups here, maybe probably the last two in particular. If that's you... If you're, sorry, if you're in the first group where you think that the miracles have ceased, I mean, no judgment on you or offence today, I just ask you just to be open and to hear what the scriptures might have to say. This church, in my opinion, has probably over its lifetime leaned ever so gently into that believe but sceptical road. But I sense there's a hunger to see God move powerfully and we're leaning towards something just it looks more like a new testament church more accepting more embracing the hunger is there so long as it's done with truth and integrity i don't want to speak for everyone but those who feel a little uncomfortable when they say those words signs and wonders and miracles i understand you You may be a little concerned. You worry about false doctrine. And I want to assure you, I I worry about those things too. 
And so as per every other Sunday of the, of the year, you can be assured that I'm careful with the things that I preach. I want you to know that some of my thoughts actually around this whole topic have been guided by a man who's recently uh, written a book, and he's the National Superintendent of the Wesleyan Church in Canada. He's doc- his name is Dr. Stephen Elliott. He wrote a, a book two years ago called By Signs and Wonders, and in the forward, in the front of it, is a word from Dr. Joanne Lyon, the former leader of our denomination. It's a very balanced book, and I'm drawing a lot of my thinking and thoughts from the points that he made through this series we're going to do over four weeks. So I'm just going to acknowledge that up front. Some of these points in this thinking have come from him. In fact, I've actually got some books available for sale at the information desk if you want them today. You won't find them at Kurong, by the way. They've been published by Asbury Seminary and uh, I brought them in across the seas just for us. We've been studying them uh, as a board and as a leadership group. We've been reading this book together and, and praying through it and saying, God, what, what is it you're trying to say to us through this? You don't need to worry that I'm being influenced by some strange teaching, church. I'm actually a very orthodox guy. I'm balanced on most matters of doctrine and theology, or I try to be anyway. I try to walk that middle road and not get sidetracked into something that's not healthy. When it comes to the supernatural, you know, on one side there can be an obsession with signs and wonders, that be- and that becomes the focus of your worship instead of Jesus. When you walk that road, you become so desperate for a miracle, you start to accept things that aren't really miracles. And when there's no miracle, what happens is your faith dries up because you've put all your, all your hope into just signs and wonders themselves. Sometimes people stretch the truth or you might lose credibility. On the other side is a rejection of the Spirit's power that leaves us weak and lacking in fruit. Dry as a desert. We rely far too much on marketing and production and, and gimmicks to try and spread the good news. You know, without the power of the Holy Spirit, we stagnate. And nothing happens. And I think this can be a big chunk of what the church, particularly the modern church in the West, can can be like right now. But here's the thing. The more I read the life of Jesus and his disciples, the more I've come to see that that middle road, so to speak, it's the radical road. The radical middle is where the Holy Spirit is free to do what he wants which is to reveal Jesus to people and empower our lives for holy living. But we don't let his power become the focus of our worship. He is the focus, always the focus. His power enhances our focus and it brings glory to him. You can't read what Jesus did and not see the radical nature of it. You know, loving your enemies, a heart of compassion for the sinner and the lost, a frustration with legalism and the religious leaders and and all they wanted to do was rule over people. He was frustrated with them. He was a new kind of leader that loved to serve others. You know, he washed the feet of his disciples. God washed the feet of his disciples. Radical. And non-stop, time and time again, signs and wonders all around him. You can't ignore it. You can't. If you read the Gospels, you can't ignore it. And as a result, 
people were, the scriptures would often say, amazed and put their faith in him. You know, it was this powerful combination of love and miracles. They worked together. The apostles took up the mantle. They took up the mantle because Jesus promised that they, and that means by extension us, would do what he, what Jesus did and more. And if you don't believe me, it's in John 14. You can have a look at home. Jesus says, you will do what I did and greater. And so the disciples did what Jesus did. Despite persecution, you know, you might be worried about some form of persecution you're seeing rising in this country or, or it's particularly around the world, that's for sure. They did these things despite that. These disciples broke down racial divides. They spread the message of Jesus even when it cost them jail and their life. And signs and wonders were a part of their message. It just went with them. It was part of their Christian experience. Let's be honest. Without pointing at other churches, let's just consider this church. While we, we've seen some miracles happen on occasion, I just think when I read the scriptures, it, they seem rare in comparison. Yes, there are answers to prayer. We celebrate those. But what I mean specifically is what we read that Jesus and his disciples did. There was a power from the Holy Spirit that healed and delivered people miraculously and it couldn't be explained in the natural. Now, I remember about six years ago, I was at a young adults camp and often at these camps is when um, young people sort of come to a crossroads in their faith. You know, they're making decisions, usually for the the good, usually for Jesus. But I remember sitting with this young man at a camp and the guest speaker was with me at the time and he was struggling and wrestling with this very thing. He said, well, I've been reading the Bible since I was a little kid. My dad even read it to me. And what I read there, I don't see. I don't see it. On one hand, he read about Jesus and the disciples and all the amazing things that went on, but he never witnessed those same things firsthand. Why? Why didn't I see the miracles that... Yeah, there were some changed lives. I think he was trying to say, where was the power that the Bible was talking about? Now, at the time, of course, you know, being a pastor, you want to give a good answer and encourage someone in their faith. And I talked about the fact that when he gave his life to Jesus, there was a great miracle that happened, and that's true. That's what happened. You know, he was saved. His, his soul was healed, so to speak. I didn't want him to waver, so I gave him that advice. On reflection, I don't think I answered his question completely because I often have the same question. Where is the power? More and more I believe that the desire we have to see people repent and be saved by grace and God's miraculous work are linked. Last Wednesday at the prayer meeting I shared from Matthew 11 and Jesus, I'm not going to show you the scriptures now, but Jesus was saying, Woe to you, such and such a town, uh, Bethsaida and, and other towns. Woe to you. I did miracles in your town and you didn't repent. There must be a link between signs and wonders, God's power, and the gospel that, that, to save people. In our vision series, I said that we've got thousands around us 
Maybe we're missing a vital part at times of proclaiming the gospel message. That vital part is, you know, the signs and wonders. Now, if you're sitting there thinking, I still don't really think you've got this yet, Nathan. Let's not quote me anymore. Let's quote Paul, okay? He's got some credibility, hasn't he? Romans 15. I dare not boast about anything except what Christ has done through me, bringing the Gentiles to God by my message and by the way I worked among them. Yeah. Listen to this, church. Do not listen to that phone. <laughs> they were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's Spirit. In this way, I have fully presented the good news of Christ from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. Point one today is this. That was a long intro, I know. Signs and wonders brings power to the gospel message. Now, has anyone ever been out to Willowbank to the drags? I know Pastor Steve has. <laughs> the fastest accelerating race cars in the world are the top fuel dragsters. Yeah, it excites someone. Yeah. Here's some stats that you will find ridiculous. A good top fuel dragster can accelerate to 160 kilometers an hour, not 100, 160. Okay, you picked how fast that is in 0.8 seconds. You don't believe me, do you? It's true. <laughs> Steve will take you if you want to see it. <laughs> By the time they've traveled just 200 meters, just 200 meters, they're doing over 450 kilometers an hour. The engine in the back of those funny-looking cars produces over 8,200 kilowatts. Now, if you don't know what that means, your car that you drive around is something between about 120 and 180. 8,200. But here's the thing. If you take that powerful engine and replace it with the one from your car, it goes from being the fastest, most powerful race car in the world to just a funny-looking car. And it has very little power. And it's the same as all the other cars. It just looks weird. The church can look like that too. Yeah, it's okay to laugh. Without the Holy Spirit's power to change people, to heal people, to overcome addictions, without that power then to the world, we're just a bunch of funny-looking weird people trundling around at normal speed. We don't even have a regular-looking car. It's weird. We are weird. Come on. We stick people in tanks of water and hold them under and bring them up. We are weird. When we ignore the powerful work of the Holy Spirit, our efforts to reach people with the gospel, it's weak. Yeah, we're a nice group of people. And people can find a place to belong here on that relational level, and I love that. That's who we should be. But the reality is you can find nice people in nice places outside of the church too. Now don't get upset at me at this. The point is not from me. It's from Paul. He says it. It's there. The words are in black and white. In fact, it's even in Romans, you know. 
the most theologically deep book in the New Testament, probably. The church in the New Testament wasn't just a nice place to be. Lives miraculously changed. People were healed. Prophecy was spoken. Tongues was, were spoken. And thousands and thousands came to faith in Christ. There must be a link. Did you know this is actually happening already in places all around the world, but mostly in the second and third world? In the modern church, we've turned ourselves inside out looking for new ways to do evangelism. You take a trip down to Kurong and you'll find book after book on it, how the church can be more seeker-friendly, how to be missional, how to share Jesus without fear, how to be convincing through apologetics, how to love people more by being a loving witness, how to invite them into your community, how to have good social gatherings, how to meet their needs through specific ministries, how we should go out and join local clubs and, and sporting clubs and meet more people, all of which are really good and very important, and I most wholeheartedly endorse them. I literally preached this in our vision series, that that's who we'll be two months ago, that this will be a, a gathering place and that we're to go into the world and to love people with practical love and compassion. And I haven't changed one bit on that. Not one bit. So don't hear me wrong here. Hear me clearly. I'm passionate about outreach that connects with our neighbourhood and it shows love like Jesus did. It's still at the top of my priority. That's the seed planting part of our mission. That's the embrace. I don't have the banners up. That's the embrace uh, people part of our mission as well. Okay? All that still important and still counts. Now, with all that in mind, let me ask you, how can we convince people who think they have everything and who think God and the church is irrelevant to them to believe that Jesus really is who he said he is? Our love is good. Our mercy is good, but to be honest, not always convincing enough to ask to convince people to become followers of Jesus. All those things are vital, but often not enough. And you know, I just think Jesus knew that. I think that he not only healed people miraculously because of his compassion for people, but also because he wanted to demonstrate his power so that they would know. He was the Christ. He was the answer they deep down were looking for, and he showed them. In my somewhat limited experience with miracles, I have noticed, and I wonder if you've noticed this too, when you either receive a miracle or you witness it, doesn't your faith just explode? Don't you just burn on the inside more and more for God. Their faith often goes the distance. Their faith produces a harvest. They're hungry for more of God and they're passionate about the gospel. So I say let's make a way for God to bring the 8,200 kilowatt version of the gospel to the lost people and let's be done with the 150 kilowatt version. Okay? I do drive... No, I'm not going to go there. All right, keep moving. Point two. Here we go. Without signs and wonders, we not, may not be presenting the full gospel. Now, just wait, okay? <laughs> just bear with me here. Keep in mind, the word gospel means good news. 
The good news of Christ encompasses all that he has done, all that he has promised to do. We believe in the doctrine of atonement, that Jesus died for our sins and therefore saved us from the wages, you know, the cost of those sins. So consider this. It's because sin entered the world that we suffer from our many diseases and afflictions and the spiritual oppression amongst many other things. Those things didn't exist pre the fall, pre-sin. Now tell me, does the atonement stop at just forgiveness and overcoming the spiritual punishment of sin? Or is it possible the atonement reaches even further and has power to overcome the physical affliction that sin in this world has caused? Do you hear what I'm saying? The world is broken. Jesus said, I have overcome the world. You know, we love to debate the meaning of Isaiah's words when he said, by his stripes we are healed. I know that this verse is a powerful prophecy and declaration of the wounds Jesus was going to suffer and did suffer for our salvation but I've come to believe we shouldn't limit that truth to just our spiritual healing. And I don't think there's any indication that Isaiah was trying to limit it either. What Paul is saying, and I agree with him, is that signs and wonders should not be left out of the gospel. Let's check it again. Paul's words. You know, Paul was a stickler for sound doctrine, right? They were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's Spirit. In this way, I have fully presented the good news of Christ. In this way, through this method of evangelism that included miraculous signs and wonders, not my words, Paul's, he fully presented the good news of Christ. Now, we know that the essential element of sharing the gospel is by telling people I'm not telling you that that gets thrown out. That is key. In fact, here's Paul again in Romans 10. Faith comes from hearing, that is hearing the good news about Christ. So let's bring the full gospel to our neighbourhood. The gospel must always be told first and foremost with our mouth. People have to know it and hear it. Sometimes the words are enough. Often, they are not. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus saves and he heals and he restores and he changes lives for eternity. There's the gospel. Point three is this. The growth of the church didn't depend on talented people. Thank goodness. It depends on the powerful presence, presence of God. When we read through the gospels, the majority of Christian conversions were actually connected to a demonstration of God's power, not by talented people or fancy churches. Ordinary, run-of-the-mill, nothing special disciples. The spreading of the gospel didn't depend on marketing. It didn't depend on gimmicks or really good programming. It wasn't about who had the best music. It wasn't about super-talented, high-capacity pastors and preachers. Again, I say, thank you, Jesus. People put their faith in Jesus because the presence of God was powerful. They encountered him. They literally experienced him. 
They believed because they saw and heard. So Stephen Elliott, the author of the book I mentioned, he did his PhD on the connection between miracles and salvations in the Bible and also through church history. And by the way, come next Sunday, I'm going to talk about church history. I'm not just talking about the Pentecostal movement, I'm talking about the movement we are a part of, Methodist church history. You may be surprised. (laughs) We're going to hear some stuff that happened with John Wesley, the great man himself. But what Dr. Elliot discovered in his research, in the New Testament in particular, is that an overwhelming majority of the instances where people put their faith in Jesus was after an identifiable miracle took place. It either happened to them or it happened in front of them, in plain sight. In fact, Jesus and his disciples actually stated that the primary purpose of miracles was to encourage and nurture faith in Christ among the unsaved. Don't believe me? Here's some examples. John 10, 38. This is what Jesus said, Believe in the evidence of the miraculous works I have done, even if you don't believe me. Are you kidding me? Then you will know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. So if you don't even believe the words that Jesus says, if you don't believe me, he says, well, at least see the miracles I've done. John 14, just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. Are we catching what Jesus is saying here? If you don't believe what I say, it's okay to believe because of the miracles that I did. In Acts 22, people of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders and signs through him, as you well know. In Hebrews 2.4, God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose. The signs and wonders confirmed the message. Not special, talented people who have amazing preaching gifts, Just the presence of God through signs and wonders, gifts of the Holy Spirit when he chose. Now I need to be clear, experiencing a miracle is not essential to conversion. Okay? It's not a guarantee that people will believe. People walked away from Jesus all the time. But according to Dr. Elliot, the majority of New Testament stories that contain an identifiable miraculous event accomplish the purpose of either drawing a crowd, breaking apathy and indifference, affirming the existence of God, or propelling faith in Jesus and his gospel. It's my sincere belief that we need to keep pushing on this journey. Now, I've preached on healing here before. I've also preached on the gifts that include these powers. These power gifts, you could call them, perhaps. And to our credit, as far as I'm aware, we've moved forward together as we continue to open ourselves to the presence and to the work of the Holy Spirit wisely, humbly, carefully. And I want you to know the board are here to be wise and discerning. You can trust them and you can trust me, but we're hungry for more of God, aren't we? And so throughout this series, we'll make space for the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do.
Each week I'm going to ask someone to bring a story where they've encountered God in the miraculous. And we're going to start right now. I'm going to ask Robin to come. She's going to share what happened with her. Are you right to come up here? Last Wednesday night at the prayer meeting, Pastor Nathan asked if anyone would like to share a miracle with them. I thought, where do I start? My life's been a miracle, even since my birth. But I decided to share about my brother John, and this is what Pastor Nathan has asked me to share this morning. My brother John, who was 16 years older than I, had gone into renal failure and they'd had to resuscitate him. As that had to work on him for so long, they said that if he survived, he would be a vegetable. We were attending Nexus then, and they prayed for me for my brother. I went to visit him that afternoon. He was in intensive care, and they had turned the ventilator off that morning. I anointed him and prayed for him. I said, God, you tell me in your word, lay hands on the sick, anoint them with oil, and they will recover. And I claim that right now for my brother. He did not remember anything in intensive care, but he knew it was me standing beside him and he knew I touched his forehead. That afternoon he spoke. He made a full recovery. And he even went back onto the Queensland Apprenticeship Board. When they went back to the specialist, he came out to them in the waiting room and said to my sister-in-law, We didn't expect to see him here. Mrs Palmer, it's a miracle. After his wife died, my brother gave his life back to the Lord at 69 years of age through the Alpha course and became an Alpha leader and involved in pastoral care in his church. Some years later, he'd gone into an aged care facility and we got a call from my niece to say John has been called back to the martyr He's got a superbug. We went up to see him that Sunday night before we came here to a meeting. We, when we got there, we went, he was in isolation and we went in. but We didn't have to gown up and he wasn't gowned up. And I said to him, what's going on, John? He said, this is what I've got. This is how they treat it. And I can't have it. He said, it's attacking my organs. So I said to Greg, come on. We're out with the anointing oil and we'll pray for him. He said to me, you did this for me once before, do you remember? I said, yeah, I sure do. So we prayed for him. The next morning I received a call from my niece, who is a nurse. She said, Dad's going home. There's no sign of the superbug. John died at 80 years of age and he was still leading people to the Lord, where he was living in the aged care facility. You can see why I get excited about things like this, because my God's still in the supernatural business today, and that he has not finished with any of us yet. There's nothing more I have to say. (laughs) But there are three more sermons in this series, so there's actually plenty. (laughs) 
and I invite you to be part of them. So I'll be here next, I'll be here every Sunday, but I'll be preaching next Sunday on this, and then there's a young adult camp I'm speaking at, and then I'll be back with two more on this series. I want you to come and hear the whole lot. I want you to come and hear the whole lot. If you've been challenged today somewhat and you're still unsure, it's okay. I actually get you. I really do. So come and invite a friend or a family member as well. We'll be doing this journey together. I'm a, um, the sort of person that doesn't necessarily rush in. But I believe in God. And I believe in what he can do. And I believe in that story. I believe he really did heal your brother twice. Miraculously. The doctors couldn't understand it. I see Carly sitting here, who had Guillain-Barr syndrome, recovered so quickly the doctors couldn't understand it. There's going to be more stories to come. And I want you to be here to hear them, because I believe that when we hear and see these amazing works of God, it builds our faith. It builds our faith. It um, emboldens us to share Jesus with other people. That's what we're about.